Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Carbon Curve. I'm your host, Naeem Merchant, and this is a podcast about the collective action needed to remove billions of tons of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and fend off the worst effects of climate change. Carbon removal, or CDR, is often represented as a process that involves pumping captured CO2 back underground where it belongs. But we can actually use CO2 removed from the atmosphere in everyday products like plastics, fuels, and building materials. This is a burgeoning industry known as carbon tech, where innovators are working on carbon neutral and even carbon negative products. One application that's really intriguing to me is the process of infusing CO2 into concrete, which means that concrete can potentially serve as a carbon sink, permanently locking away atmospheric CO2, while also reducing the amount of cement needed in the concrete mix, which further reduces this essential product's carbon footprint. I think this could be really impactful. Concrete is the second most consumed material in the world, second only to water. If concrete production was a country, it would be the third largest greenhouse gas emitter on Earth, contributing to roughly 7% of global CO2 emissions. What's worse is that because of the chemical reaction integral to its production, concrete is really difficult to decarbonize. Thankfully, there are companies that are using CO2 to make concrete less carbon intensive. And while I've written about public sector strategies to support these technologies, I wanted to speak to a leading company that's working to solve this problem and learn more about their technology, find out what individuals, communities, businesses, and governments can do to help drive greater demand for low carbon concrete. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to my newsletter at carboncurve.substack.com. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Robert Niven. Rob is the chair and chief executive officer of Carbon Cure Technologies, the global leader in carbon dioxide removal technologies for the concrete industry. Rob founded the company in 2012 with the simple goal of making concrete sustainability both profitable and easy for industry. With Rob at the helm, Carbon Cure and its partners are achieving their mission to reduce and remove 500 million tons of carbon dioxide emissions annually by 2030. Under his direction, Carbon Cure has won numerous international awards, honoring leadership in sustainability, innovation, and technology development, including the $20 million NRG COSIA Carbon X Prize, Cleantech Group's 2020 North American Company of the Year, the Bloomberg NEF New Energy Pioneers Award, the CNBC 2022 Disruptor List, and recognition as one of the top 10 global cleantech companies for seven consecutive years. Featured as one of Canada's top 40 under 40 for its leadership in CO2 utilization, Rob holds an MSc in Environmental Engineering from McGill and a BSc in Chemistry from the University of Victoria, British Columbia, not too far from my alma mater, the University of British Columbia. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's really great to be here with you. And thank you for being on. I've been following Carbon Cure for a long time. I've done uh, some consulting work with you all uh, around some marketing and communications for a couple of months, which was really great to just work with the folks on your team. And I just was really blown away by just the quality of, of folks that, that are working at Carbon Cure. So, and I know you're you're hiring and I, I can at least give you guys a plug. It's a wonderful place to work and just full of <laughs> awesome, awesome people. So um, check out their job board. Thanks for the plug. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. It's it's really about the people, right, that that make success happen. And it's just fun to work with such creative and hardworking people. Yeah, absolutely. So give us a little background on the concrete industry and the carbon intensity of concrete production today. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, most people, uh, for most people, concrete is an invisible product, and yet it's all around us. And it's as common as the air we breathe. And 
it's enormous. It's about a 40 gigaton a year industry. So when people talk about carbon removal, they often reference it in terms of oil and gas sector. And, you know, we need to, we need to build an industry 10 times as big as the oil and gas sector. You can look at it the other way and say, we need to build it as big as the concrete industry. So we have some precedent here, but I think it's just really important to understand the size because it, uh, it gives you some important appreciation of not only the challenge of decarbonizing this industry, but when it's paired up with carbon removal, the opportunity to scale. And because you're working with an existing industry that is very local, the product can only be shipped about 30 minutes or an hour, is it means that you have concrete plants just about anywhere where people live. And every one of those concrete plants can be turned into a carbon removal factory by retrofitting them uh, on a very capital light model. So this is, I think, just a phenomenal opportunity to scale up carbon removal by working with the concrete industry and do that with like using permanent mineralization pathways. Of course, most people may appreciate that concrete's all around us to give you some reference, so 40 gigatons, but it's also growing quickly. We're gonna be building uh, new buildings and infrastructure at a rate of adding New York City, or a new New York City every 30 days for the next 40 years are doubling everything that humanity has built to date, we'll be repeating that all over again over the next 40 years. So that's going to require a tremendous amount of concrete. And concrete, the main ingredient is cement. So cement is the fine powder, which is added with aggregate and water to make concrete. And you see it being delivered in these concrete mixer trucks around whatever town uh, your listeners are, are living in. And that cement is really the source of the CO2 emissions. And it accounts for about 7% of worldwide emissions. So a really high proportion. And they're, they're a very difficult 7% to reduce. And the reason why we say that is because it's attributed to an inherent chemical reaction. So we have an essential product that's going to be required to support humanity and society. But decarbonizing this product is a challenge because it's this inherent chemical reaction which goes beyond just energy use. We can do all of the renewable energy that we want, but that won't get to the majority of the emissions from this industry. And that's really where carbon removal has an incredibly important role to play in decarbonizing this, what they call hard to abate sector. And just to you know, put a finer point on it, I mean, 7% of global emissions from this industry, that's roughly 3x the emissions of the air travel or aviation industry. We hear a lot about the things we need to do to decarbonize aviation, but mm -hmm. we don't hear as much about what we need to do to decarbonize concrete. Yeah. And uh, that's it's, it's a bigger problem and arguably a tougher problem. Absolutely, I would agree. It's the largest industrial source of emissions. So it's, it's a, a really big and important industry, but fortunately there's so many opportunities to decarbonize in this space. So we're focused entirely on concrete. And by looking at it from a global perspective, emerging markets, developed economies, um, fortunately, concrete plants are basically the same. Anywhere you are, they do vary a bit by size, obviously, but it's the same ingredients and the same basic plant design anywhere you go, which gives us the ability to standardize and provide universal solutions for any of the 125,000 plants around the world and providing also a platform of technologies 
that can be dropped in to any one of those plants. And we're showing that that can be done. We're currently licensed and working with 650 plants worldwide, over two dozen countries. So clearly, this is an industry that is a great place to innovate around carbon removal. And I feel like every time I speak to you or someone on your team, that number keeps going up. So congrats on, on the growth. So tell us a little bit more about Carbon Cures technology and process specifically and, and how it contributes to, to this big task of, of decarbonizing this important industry. Yeah. So I, the Carbon Cure, you know, this was the basis of my thesis. So deeply personal connection to making sure this is successful. Um, so that came out of some research I had been doing at grad school at McGill, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, you also mentioned that it was the winner of Carbon X Prize, uh, which was a great uh, challenge of over five years. 2,000 teams uh, participated in that. So to come out through as a winner was, was greatly uh, vindicating and sort of validating in the work that we're doing. But carbon cure technology is not a sort of monolithic sort of one single product anymore. And what's it's what's happened is we've actually emerged into a platform of both hardware and software solutions. We did that because we realized to decarbonize the built the built environment through concrete is we need to provide uh, complementary products. So on the hardware side, all focused on our core understanding of CO two mineralization. So how can we use CO two beneficially? in concrete plants using a retrofit model. So our core technology today, which is the predominant use of the numbers I mentioned earlier, that's what we call a ready mix technology. So we mineralize CO2 in concrete. Why do we do that? It actually makes the concrete better. It makes it stronger, which then allows concrete producers to gain some efficiencies by using less cement in the concrete that they make while still maintaining the same engineering requirements that are essential for building uh, you know, roads and highways and schools or what have you. Um, so as we've then taken that same core science, we've applied it to other problems or opportunities in this industry, but they tend to add a greater amount of circular impact. So the concrete industry being the size that it is also creates a lot of waste, specifically in the form of like wastewater. It's like a slurry, it looks like a milkshake, but highly alkaline and every plant in the world creates this product very hard and expensive to get rid of well by using co2 we can actually treat that so we can gain the circular benefits meaning that we can use that water and that cementitious product instead of virgin water and or fresh water and virgin cement or looking at end-of-life concrete so all buildings and infrastructure have an end of life what do we do with all that product well once again the co2 mineralization process can be used to treat that concrete rather than filling up our landfills. Let's use that for the aggregate and let's also use that as a, as a way of, of providing a cementitious activity instead of more cement. So lots of things that we can do. Our shift into carbon credits has allowed us to really play a leading role in digitization. So the exchange of credits for concrete producers has then allowed us to gain a lot of access on sort uh, ingesting data from their plants, which we then use to create analytic solutions that help them run more efficiently to decarbonize faster, but also to report their LCA life cycle assessment or their environmental impacts. So all these come together with like hardware solutions, software solutions, carbon market, sort of a digital, like a very highly efficient process with high MRV capabilities. 
And then we're also now investigating opportunities and atmospheric CO2 capture. So providing a complete full toolkit for concrete producers to be really leading players and carbon removal expansion. And that carbon removal expansion, is that going to look like, you know, partnerships, joint ventures? Is that something you're looking to bring in-house? How are you all strategically thinking about adding that to this pretty comprehensive um, set of, of services and products you have for your customers? We, we actually love the SaaS model that uh, has been shown to be very scalable in the software industry. And we use the same thing. So we actually work with concrete producers. We're never going to make concrete, let that be clear. Um, so we retrofit their, their plants. We allow them to gain efficiencies, to lower the carbon footprint. And we do that using a licensing model. And that really works because they don't have to pay for technology. These are very lean operations. And they just don't have the kind of discretionary spend on new equipment, especially in today's economic climate. And really, that will never change. I've been around this industry long enough. So we provide them all of the equipment, all of the know-how, all of the support, and, and then it's able to create all of these benefits for the producer. And then we receive a reoccurring revenue stream. Uh, and all of this is supported by the carbon credits revenue as well, which are vitally important in the accelerated scale up of this industry. Absolutely. And I was going to get to this later, but since we're talking carbon credits, is this something that is essentially split, the, like the revenue split is, is kind of in place with the individual concrete plants? Yeah, because uh, concrete is a commodity product and because it is so commonplace is that you need to be able to provide the concrete to the end users. So people who use concrete or specify concrete. So that could be an Amazon warehouse, or it could be a road or an airport. Uh, there's very low tolerance for price premiums. So we're able to use credits to be able to erase the price premium for these products. This is critically important is because we're just never going to see the scale up if the demand for the product that we're creating, the concrete, is not at parity. It obviously has to have all of the same material properties, people need to trust that they can build it, uh, build the hospital safely. It's, uh, you know, it, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, people's lives are at stake here, right? So we need to trust that product, but they also need to be able to get that product at the same price and, and, and largely from the same producers that would normally be providing that essential material, you know, the years before. And what big picture impact do you think Carbon Cure specifically and your industry more broadly have on combating climate change? And I think you referenced this before, this kind of goal that Carbon Cure has around 500 million tons of reduction and removal uh, by, by 2030. Say more about how you all are thinking about the big picture impact of, of Carbon Cure's uh, offering here. Yeah, this is what I was getting at earlier is there's, there's a paradox, right? Is the industry is so big, but I look at that as an opportunity and, and it has the size today to have an enormous and meaningful impact. And because it exists today, is we can scale much faster than having to think about rolling out new greenfield development or building in all this new infrastructure. Let's work with what we have today and then adapt it so that they can become, as I mentioned earlier, these carbon removal factories and still make a usable product, which is really key, right? We still need a product 
And so I, I feel like that resonates with a lot of people is the fact that this is not just a like waste disposal process is we're actually still making usable products that society needs. And we're doing that in a way that can actually be highly effective from a climate perspective and scalable. At the end of the day, I'm less worried about the magnitude or the size of the number. As we all know, we're racing against the clock, right? Time is the enemy. So how do we scale up these solutions within this industry at a meaningful time frame that matters for climate? And for me, when I think about that is, yeah, there's, you know, we're going to have the best salespeople, the best engineers or whatever it takes, but organic growth is going to be at a certain pace. And the, as I thought about this business and this industry is this really comes down to like two things that I think have the ability to really catalyze this area of carbon removal as it applies to concrete. And that comes down to carbon markets. So high quality carbon removal credits, very, very important to accelerate the deployment. And secondly, and similar in some ways is procurement of the concrete itself. And we may get to that into that later on, but what I'm talking about is specifically government is we always love it when, it, you know, an end user like LinkedIn or, or a residential home or infrastructure developer specifies uh, carbon cure concrete. That's great. But the largest consumer of concrete is government, 40%. So if you only focus on government and we're seeing a lot of great policies coming out, we can talk about that a little bit later, is those procurement policies can really move the needle. You don't need to worry about the thousands of private developers when you only focus on that 40% of those concrete purchases by government. Because if they change the market, it doesn't matter what the private sector does or what they want, because they're going to, because the industry is going to have to adapt to the government uh, requirements and the private sector projects are just still going to get this low carbon concrete, whether they like it or not. How do you scale for public sector procurement like that? Like if you have the government, um, you know, state, provincial, federal, a relatively small number, but making up 40% of the market. How does a company like Carbon Cure scale to meet that kind of uh, demand? Surprisingly, it's actually easier than you think. What I found is that government officials are looking for new levers to pull to meet their climate targets, kind of at the end of the line. And they're looking around thinking, what else can I do? Especially, what else can I do that doesn't come with the high price tag? And if we can provide this concrete at the same price, the same quality or better than what they're getting today from the same producers, then that can really be effective. So we actually created the policy model in Hawaii, initially with the city of Honolulu, and then, then, and then led to the Department of Transportation in the state when they've um, uh, introduced legislation. But that, that all started with this uh, relationships with local government that allowed us to create a model. And then you know our mutual friend, Chris, Nidal from um, Open Air Collective was then in touch with us after that, uh, where we developed this model and he was working on something in New York, we got together, shared some exchanges, and then out of that came the Low Embodied Carbon Concrete Leadership Act, uh, LECLA as it's called in New York State. And then that just leads to other uh, local governments such as New Jersey or uh, California and Minnesota and, and, and cities. Uh, it just really spreads like wildfire and there's even a lot of federal interest as well. As a global company, we're now thinking about, well, how do we take these great models 
and start applying them and possibly adapting them in other markets. And those can be emerging markets or, or other developed uh, economies. So I think it's, if you create things that are common sense, and there's already a lot of momentum around things like buy clean type legislation, you're just adapting that a little bit and really focusing on the concrete industry because there's major gains to be had there with very little downside. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And maybe to double click a little bit on the carbon removal potential here. You know, when I speak to direct air capture companies or other carbon removal companies that are, you know, at this really early stage and they're concerned about permitting and CO2 storage challenges. And then I hear about the hundreds of concrete plants around North America and around the world that are using your technology or similar technologies by other companies for that matter. And it's really exciting to think about how low carbon concrete can help solve this storage problem for a carbon removal industry that is scaling up faster than their carbon storage opportunities are, are growing. And so how do you see carbon dioxide removal companies like Direct Air Capture benefiting from technologies like yours and, and a thriving low carbon concrete industry more generally? Yeah, so we're, you know, we consider ourselves a carbon removal company as well. And the way that I think about carbon removal is there's two sides to the coin. We have the capture component. So uh, that's atmospheric CO2 capture that can be from biogenic sources that can be from direct air capture, but that's only half of the solution. The other half of course is ideally a durable CO2 storage pathway. And just like on the capture side is you have options and on the storage side, you also have options and you need to ideally pick the best of both. And uh, you can create different combinations depending upon the local region. We think that concrete is an excellent option because it's a value-added product that you're creating. It's global already. It can be deployed today, it's proven, and you can create very high MRV. Um, so very high certainty on the um, quality of, of these, uh, these credits that are generated. I think secondly, just the science of the storage component is it's an exothermic reaction, meaning that the chemical equilibrium or it wants to stay permanently mineralized. So you're not having to force something and then worry about leakage down the line, is that this is the lowest energy state. It wants to bind with cement to form this essentially limestone. And, and you're just sort of facilitating the right conditions for that to happen and doing it in a way that actually improves the quality of concrete. So from a durability perspective or permanence perspective, there's a lot of advantages there and you can directly measure these things. So you're not relying upon, you know, redundant or sort of static LCAs that may not represent, you know, that given day's activities is you can directly measure this stuff and do that in a very traceable and sort of public transparent manner. So that you have very, very high certainty and very high measurement and, um, capabilities on, on the MRV side of the, using this industry. And I was curious to just follow up on that around the MRV side, you know, how are you all, you know, I think a lot of companies will, will want to see some kind of third-party standards uh, around, uh, around these processes in place. How have you approached that challenge? I think you're absolutely right. This is certainly the new frontier. I think maybe a year ago or so, it was largely about just, you know, how do we get technologies selected and projects going, uh, rapid realization that we need, we need to be better on MRV. 
so the things that Carbon Cure is able to do, and just by nature of working with the concrete industry, is being able to have like direct real-time measurement. So not relying upon just simple LCAs, which we all know can be, you know, adjusted uh, one way or skewed one way or another. So real direct measurement, fully traceable and transparent reporting, and also working with third-party verifiers. So we have a protocol that we work with, with uh, Vera. We can also and are in the process of pursuing third-party verification. This is all in the pursuit of being able to have this highly transparent, sort of rigorous MRV. And we really want to stand out on the quality of our MRV because we think that there's certain attributes of this technology that really lend itself to that. And we'd like to be a trailblazer in this space by continually driving more and more rigorous uh, quality of carbon removal credits. That's really great to hear. And I think that's certainly, you know, the MRV challenge has been one that hasn't been, you know, pursued as aggressively because so many companies in the space are so early on. And I think yeah. as they grow and as they start making deliveries, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's important that they start getting that right. And so it's, it's cool to start to see companies try to figure this out. When I think about customers and governments, you know, being basically the largest buyers of concrete, it sounds like there's some real policy incentives that can be put in place here to, to help uh, companies like Carbon Cure to help scale up low carbon concrete solutions. What are some examples of potential procurement policies, but also like non-procurement policies that might be helpful in advancing this industry more broadly, recognizing that you know, we're talking about an industry that produces 40 billion tons a year of a certain product. Uh, there's still a lot of growth that needs to happen. And it sounds like government is a key player. So between procurement and non-procurement policies, what might be helpful in advancing this sector? Mm -hmm. Well, as I said earlier, procurement is critically important and we have to do that today. So the, the LECLA, as I mentioned, sort of that state level policy around procurement in, in New York that model is being replicated in other, other areas. So um, New Jersey Senate just passed a unanimously a bipartisan vote, uh, Illinois, Massachusetts, New York, uh, California. These are all places where this model is really taking off. And we're seeing interest at the federal level, even here in Canada and in other locations. So that it's, they all have different flavors, but they all have sort of three key components. Uh, one is you need very high quality uh, reporting on what's called environmental product declarations. It's basically a life cycle assessment document for the construction industry. So you need to know what the information is on the baseline and the environmental attributes of that product. Um, removing the regulatory barriers would be the second part. And then the third part is creating some form of incentive. So are you, are you going to pay a premium? Uh, are you going to make it a requirement? There's different ways that you can do that, but providing some kind of procurement signal to the industry. And the industry is just looking for certainty. They're more than willing to respond to the needs of, of the customer is they just don't have the luxury of taking risk as this is a very risk adverse industry. So that's on the procurement side. So that's starting to get ironed out. There's some nice different flavors and uh, you can come to our website on our government page. We tend to list all of these policies that are being developed or have passed to date. The other kinds of things that I think obviously we were very supportive of is the um, CDRLA. So that is in a way a procurement type model, but uh, directly of carbon removal credits. Uh, that's something we're obviously very supportive of 
and think that we need to expand the commitment of buyers in that credit markets. Uh, 45Q is another relevant policy that creates tax incentives for these types of projects to be deployed. Uh, I think to support carbon removal, they can be adapted a little bit. Uh, we'd like to see some aggregation of uh, similar type projects so that this is not only being used by large geological carbon capture and storage projects, but it can also be adapted for carbon removal. It was nice to see some of the adjustments that have been made for atmospheric capture with um, direct air capture technologies. We'd like to see some more work being done on the storage side by aggregating common projects so that you can lower some of that transaction cost by spreading it over uh, a number of projects uh, would be sort of a, a key thing as well. And then putting utilization on parity with geological storage from a quantum level or incentive structure would would be another change that we would be supportive of seeing. So those are some of the things I think of with policy, but very important, right? I can't overstate that. But fortunately, it's moving pretty quick. That's exciting to hear. And the procurement lever seems to be the most potentially impactful one, not just in terms of concrete procurement, but uh, as you referenced, the CDRLA or the Carbon Dioxide Removal Leadership Act that's being um, considered in the U.S. and I think there's another one called the Crest Act uh, that would that would have the government actually procuring carbon credits in some fashion through some kind of uh, procurement mechanism. I'll also uh, put in the show notes a white paper I, I wrote with the with uh, the great team at Carbon 180 around federal strategies for scaling up low carbon concrete. If folks are interested in, in just learning about what other policy levers are there to, to help mm -hmm. help scale up this industry, but procurement is is a really really big one, and it's good it's good to see that more jurisdictions are are figuring this out at the state level and potentially at the federal level, which I guess kind of brings me back to my next question. Because you mentioned that there's there's some consideration of this happening in Canada, you know, Carbon Cure is very much a global company. Uh, its headquarters are in Canada, and as a Canadian, you know, myself, I think, I constantly think <laughs> that Canada could be doing more and having a really meaningful contribution to scaling up carbon removal. Would you agree with that? And what, in your view, needs to happen to create a dynamic carbon removal industry in Canada? I think there's a, a long history of Canada and the U.S. working together on climate policy or just generally a lot of policy alignment, whether that be trade or environmental issues and what have you. Uh, how I look at Canada is that we have a lot of great companies and startups. We also just generally have a very supportive R&D support network uh, to allow these companies to get out of the lab and, and scale up. However, the market has always been the U.S., so typically Canadian companies uh, pivot pretty quickly to focus their commercial efforts in the U.S., such as Carbon Cure is a great example of that, where the vast majority of our business is in the U.S. today. So I, I think we have an advantage in the innovation side. Uh, obviously, there's many, many great companies in the U.S. and other, other locations, but I would say that that has been traditionally where Canada has done very well. Uh, secondly, is that we have very supportive policy in Canada, and there's some great pieces of work that are being done right now by our federal government on climate policy that have been really put in place over the last few years. And while the U.S. is seeing some of those pieces being in place now is that we got started earlier 
which is which is great to see with like federal carbon pricing, for instance. And there's a, a, a really interesting plan that's coming together now, which is putting these pieces together and more relevant to concrete industries. So there's a low carbon uh, concrete roadmap that includes elements of carbon removal. We have uh, an equivalent to 45Q that's coming together. So there's a lot of pieces that are very aligned with US. And I think we can partner a lot across border as we've done in so many other different issues to really scale up CDR. I would see each country as being an extension of one another to, to really pursue the scale up of CDR. This is an, an incredible opportunity for two, these two countries uh, to partner. I, I would say the one thing that the US really has to its advantage over Canada though, is that the sort of the private sort of like industry is, I would say, more willing to adopt new technologies, to try new things. And I think that's where we have our work cut out for us is we need local industry to be more of a partner at all stages of tech maturity. So that could be, you know, ideation, speaking with those experts in industry, that customer discovery process. Uh, or it could be piloting, uh, it, which we tend to do all right at, but I think really is being those customers, right? That's the part where typically things really fall off a cliff is that local industry are very hesitant to adopt these technologies. Where in the US, there is more of a competitive type of environment and you see a lot more adoption uh, and a lot more scale up which is a bit unfortunate because we've invested so much in creating these solutions in Canada, um, but they just then we just don't benefit from the impact as much because the scale up tends to occur in other places. Uh, so that's typically the mindset of what happens in Canada. But I, I think, as I said before, there's a great opportunity here for Canada and the US to show a lot of leadership by working together on carbon removal scale up and um, looking forward to being part of some of those conversations as well. Yeah, I think that coordination is really important and it, it allows both you know, countries to complement each other's work, um, whether that's on the R&D front or the procurement front or different policy opportunities or, or... Or markets, as you said, as well, um, whether direct procurement of carbon removal or products that are generated from carbon removal technologies like concrete or fuels. Um, and, uh, and of course, companies are benefiting from, um, from the US market and the Canadian market. We've got some great companies here in Canada and carbon engineering obviously is, is one that comes to mind. Yeah. So how do the next six months to a year look for Carbon Cure? What are your key priorities as you go forward and you continue growing this, this company? What does that look like? So my North Star is the 500 megaton challenge. Right? So I think about that in terms of how do we deploy more and get started, especially in emerging markets sooner, because those are going to take a little longer to scale up. We're going to need to learn a bit more and adapt the model of what we've done to date. So I'm very interested in getting these started and and in all of these different markets and then giving them time to blossom and have the real impact because it will take a bit of time. But we're not done innovating as well. So we're bringing new hardware solutions to the market. So these will be different ways that we can mineralize CO2 and concrete. Uh, I mentioned as well, we're doing some really interesting work on atmospheric CO2 capture. We've got a DOE project that was announced. Uh, obviously really promoting our carbon credit sales. I'm not sure if you saw the news, Naeem, but we announced a, a really exciting long-term deal with Invert and Ripple 
uh, nice Canadian connection again. Uh, we also work with some of the other high-profile buyers like Stripe and Shopify, which uh, everybody knows about. And uh, so those those are definitely some priorities on like technology and growth. We also are going to be going out to market and raising some capital uh, over the next few months. So that's going to be something I'll be very personally focused on is trying to find those right value-added investors that want to be part of this journey to make carbon removal for concrete the new norm for global concrete production. And we're well on our way and we'll be looking for new partners here shortly to join us in that. It's really great to see the business evolve in that in that fashion and, and things really start to pick up. Um, so that that's just great news. Congratulations on all the growth so far. Uh, how can people get in touch and learn more about Carbon Cure? Uh, I find our LinkedIn channels great. Uh, so please, please come to that. Uh, we, we also like to stay very active in different communities as, as well. So that could be air miners or working with groups like Carbon 180 or Carbon Direct, uh, Carbon Plan, uh, some of those, uh, those groups that we all reference for their excellent work that they do. Uh, they can email info at carboncure.com. We have a Twitter handle and uh, please visit our website, carboncure.com. There's actually a lot of really great content there that we're continuing to add, whether that be like technical materials or an updated list of which producers and which communities are using this technology. It's growing every day. Um, and we've got some really cool things coming up on like visualization uh, that really show like the traceability uh, attributes uh, on the MRV side of what we do, um, of showing how like the path of CO2 from sourcing all the way through to permanent storage and how like it's that's that direct measurement process allows us to do things like really interesting visualization um, or mapping exercises that I think allow people to understand carbon removal in a little more tangible way than it may be perceived today. Nice thing about concrete is you can picture the school or the road and you can go there and actually visit the site where the CO2 is mineralized you can touch it those are nice things to have that's that's a nice part of this business is you actually get to build things yeah that that is really cool and and i will say that the carbon care website is full of some really great resources so folks should absolutely check that out and i'll make sure to um, put some of the links you mentioned in the show notes rob thank you so much for the time this has been really enlightening and uh, good luck with all of the great things you guys have in the pipeline over the next several months thanks for the plug for getting people to Come, come work for us. We always need more brilliant people. Congratulations to you as well on the podcast. I'm looking forward to all the future sessions. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks.